This idea of being stuck is often an idea. It's sometimes a story we're telling ourselves. And sometimes we're not recognizing what's going on on our end of the stick. Buddhism really puts the ball in your court. It says that the liberation from your own suffering is your own work to do. Thanks for checking out Guys Talking Yoga. So this podcast is focused on getting more men into yoga by raising awareness of its many benefits through conversations with other guys. I'm your host, Derek Vanderwalker, and today's guest is Neil Taylor. Neil is a lot of things. He's a musician, a body worker, a yoga instructor, and a meditation teacher. As a high school kid at home, he was looking for a workout and found himself digging through a basket of his parents' VHS tapes when he came across Rodney Yee's Introduction to Yoga. Eventually, those tapes led to a five-day silent meditation retreat with the late Thich Nhat Hanh, the Zen master and global spiritual leader who really piqued Neil's interest in Buddhism. Shortly after, Neil spent four years at the Berklee School of Music and became a professional musician. But life as a traveling musician took its toll on his health and well-being, and eventually music faded to the background when Neil discovered his spiritual path and chose to become a yoga and meditation teacher. This is a really cool conversation. We talk a lot about awareness. We talk a lot about the concept of being stuck physically in your body, but also mentally and existentially. And I just know you're going to get a lot out of this and really enjoy what Neil has to share. So Neil Taylor, thanks for joining the podcast and welcome to the show. Derek, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Before we get into your work as a licensed massage therapist, body worker, and meditation teacher in the greater Boston area, tell us a little bit about who you were and where you were before you got into your yoga practice. Sure. So short version of the story is that I was a musician. So started playing when I was pretty young, like maybe 10 or 11 years old. And the older I got, the more obsessed I became with it. And I actually discovered yoga when I was around 18 years old, right after high school, and fell in love with it almost right away. But I was also about to go off to Berkeley. So after having a pretty solid practice for about a year, yoga had to take a back seat because I was at school and it was pretty demanding. Uh, I had to practice my instrument like four to six hours a day. And like any collegiate situation, you're just kind of really busy. <laughs> right. And you played the bass? Yeah, I played the bass, electric bass. Mm -hmm. And you got into music very early and very young and you got exposed to yoga. Tell us a little bit about when and where you were and what kind of yoga did you ex get exposed to? Sure. So it's kind of funny. I just felt like doing some exercise. I just felt like working out. And at the time I was living with my parents, I was 18 years old and they had this basket full of exercise VHS tapes, if anyone out there remembers those. You know, I'm sifting through them and it's like, oh, Jane Fonda, I don't think that one's for me. And uh, I came across a VHS tape that said, Upper Body Yoga for Beginners with Rodney Yee. I thought, well, that sounds cool. I'll give this a shot. And so it kicked my butt in ways I really didn't see coming. And in addition to that particular practice being a really challenging workout, I was noticing that my mind was simultaneously becoming calmer and clearer. And at the end of the practice, when I was lying down in Shavasana for the first time, just kind of this wave of relaxation and peace 
washed over me. And I'll never really forget that first experience of practicing yoga. So from there, I just kept putting that VHS tape in the VCR. And I practiced that really steadily for about a year. Went to some classes here and there as well, of course. And you were a high school senior at this time about? Yeah, yeah, high school senior. So I got exposed to yoga at that time. Uh, And also around that time, I got exposed to Buddhist meditation. I had a friend who, right after high school, was going on a five-day silent retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, who's kind of like one of the world heavyweight champions of mindfulness, if you haven't heard of him. I was like, well, who's who's this guy? What What are you doing? And he told me about it. And I said, you know, I think I want to go too. And then, of course, another one of our buddies was like, well, what am I going to do this summer? So then three guys who didn't really know much about it all ended up on this silent meditation retreat. So I got exposed to both yoga and Buddhism at around the same time. And then, you know, after that summer, I was off to Berkeley and, you know, spent four years there, graduated, started teaching, touring, working in recording studios. And so after years of being a professional musician with yoga and meditation not really being a priority in my life, I started to just really feel my overall health and well-being start to deteriorate a little. You know, being a musician is not often associated with the world of health and well-being. (laughs) A lot of late nights, a lot of traveling, a lot of eating on the go. And it was just taking a toll. And, you know, as we like to say, the mind perceives through contrast. So having the contrast of knowing what it was like to, you know, be on meditation retreat and be practicing yoga every day, and then kind of feeling the opposite of that, of being tired and overworked and just not feeling well overall, I really knew that I needed to come back to the practice. And so that was in my late 20s. And, you know, it was almost like the seed of yoga and the seed of Buddhism had been planted and it was starting to sprout up and kind of call me back. And so that's when I started to get back into the practices, my late twenties. And when you say the practice, like it's not just yoga or just Buddhism. It was this idea of reconnecting with myself and just finding that grounding and not one or the other specifically. Yeah, I would say that. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the yogic path and the Buddhist path. And so as I kind of re-embarked on those things, Over time, my interest in that world was continuing to grow and my enthusiasm for the music world was beginning to wane until, you know, after a few years, I just started to make the switch to teaching yoga, teaching meditation, and got to the point where there was just no more music in my life, frankly, at all, except for occasionally playing for fun. And that's where I'm at these days is uh, music is my hobby that I do for enjoyment. And my life is really centered around Buddhist practice, yoga practice, teaching those two disciplines. And also, as you mentioned, I do work as a body worker as well. So before we go to the integrative aspects of this conversation around body work and yoga and mindfulness and Buddhism, for those who are listening who aren't very familiar with Buddhism or yoga, How are those paths similar and what connects them and where might they be actually different in the practice or how you teach those practices? Sure, that's a great question. Where they sort of overlap and where they're similar really comes down to the word awareness. 
Awareness is really at the heart of meditation practice. Awareness is really at the heart of yoga practice. I think where they differ is the approach and the traditions. What we've come to know as yoga in the West, in in the modern world, is often very much centered around the physical practices. You know, unrolling your mat, getting on the mat, and actually moving and using your body and doing the breathing techniques. But if you go back and you read some of the older texts on yoga, like the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, I'll try not to get too academic here, it's really more of a meditation manual. And so in that sense, they're very similar, but you know, different traditions take you on different trajectories. And in Buddhist practice, there's a big emphasis on not just awareness, but awareness for the sake of developing wisdom and compassion. But both paths are really about liberating yourself from suffering. In terms of how I teach them, because I live in this modern context of yoga being very much emphasized as a physical practice, I teach you know, hatha yoga classes, vinyasa, hatha, restorative. So I teach classes that teach people how to use their body. But as one of my teachers puts it, I try to treat the posture as the object of meditation. So bringing awareness into the body in order to develop a direct relationship with the body in order to develop an understanding that is built on the foundation of awareness. Because a lot of times folks come to a yoga class with sort of the perception that, you know, there's a right or wrong way to do it, which is actually based on an idea, right? So there's a conceptual idea of I'm doing yoga, but really when you're operating from awareness, it's just a direct experience of what's happening and things as they are. So I take a meditative approach to teaching yoga because I think it's important that we're developing attention and awareness so that we're developing skill, we're developing wisdom and compassion through our physical practice because wisdom is arising through training our awareness. And as we become more familiar with ourselves, it's only natural to develop a little bit more compassion. It's said in the Buddhist tradition that compassion, the energy of compassion is sort of actually woven into the fabric of our consciousness, but we're not always tapped into it. So it's through the development of awareness that we can start to kind of uncover some of these qualities within ourselves. In terms of how I teach meditation, I think there's so many misconceptions about meditation that a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm actually realigning people's expectations, which essentially means perhaps let's not even have any expectations. Let's just learn the technique and observe the outcome. And in that way, we're just kind of clearing the plate and giving ourselves a fresh start so that we can learn how to relate with our mind and relate with ourselves. And in Tibetan, the word meditation is gom, but it more directly translates to to become familiar with. So you could say that we use meditation and we use yoga to become more familiar with ourselves and more familiar with the experience of, frankly, being alive, being a human being. So clearly in the world that we're in now, we could use a little bit more awareness and self-compassion as well as compassion for others. When you're teaching a yoga class, do you weave in some of the Buddhist thinking or teaching either at the start of the class or the end of the class, or do you pretty much teach the yoga class straightforward? 
Yeah, so I have two answers to that. One answer is that, you know, the image that comes to mind is a Venn diagram. Sort of the places where those two practices overlap is often where I live as a teacher, where I'm teaching from. But I can step to one side of the Venn diagram or the other, depending on the context I'm in. And the second part of the answer is that when you practice something, it starts to become an integrated part of your way of being. So that, you know, I'm just kind of a, a Buddhist guy. So the Buddhism comes through one way or another. But I try not to confuse things and mix traditions unless I'm being really thoughtful about it. I mean, how do you, as someone who knows and appreciates so much that what yoga is and what it can do for the mind, the body, and the soul, as well as Buddhism, what's been your observation about how quickly people embrace this stuff when they start getting into it and whether or not there's an increase in appetite for this knowledge and this learning as you continue to teach and lead yoga classes? Yeah, so I do think it's different person to person. And I think oftentimes because of the context of, you know, people show up five minutes before class, unroll their mat, follow instructions for 75 or 90 minutes, and then roll up their mat and go to the next thing. They don't often necessarily develop an understanding of why they're feeling better, why maybe they're becoming a little bit less reactive why they're developing a little bit more clarity. Because a lot of times we're practicing, but we're not necessarily studying in this modern context. So the way I like to take a deeper dive is, of course, I infuse it into the class in terms of the philosophy and sort of the aspect of trying to study a little bit. But the way I, I prefer to expose people to what's beyond the postures is through workshops, because I think we can actually say like, okay, now we have two or three hours. Let's actually sit down and talk for a little while and unpack a topic. And then how do we apply that into our practice on the mat? So that's a chance to do a deeper dive. But in terms of people's interest, I do think people are interested because they show up to the workshops. They sign up for teacher trainings, even if they don't want to teach because they have a sense that there's so much more to it. And, you know, more and more people are getting interested in yoga and meditation every day. It's, um, I don't like to use the word industry, but, you know, it's kind of a booming industry in a way. Your experiences as a, a yoga teacher and a Buddhist meditation teacher, you know, those things are closely intertwined. I think People who are going through life, their stresses, their pains, their frustrations, clearly there's a mind-body connection. As someone who's a licensed massage therapist who is familiar with sort of the somatic connection between the mind and body, what has been your experience for how yoga can move people not only through that discomfort, but also really have agency over knowing their body and feeling more in control about how to navigate life and avoid those moments where you get stuck and you suffer? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, again, I have two answers. <laughs> You're allowed two answers. It's a two for one deal. You know, in terms of the mind-body connection, our fears and our worries can cause us to tense our body. You know, if you think about when you're startled, you tend to go, <gasps> you tend to like inhale, your shoulders might 
rise up, your, your abdomen might tense up. When you're worried about something, you might feel your hands start to grip or your jaw start to become tense. And so again, if you're training and developing your awareness of your body, then you start to notice this stuff before the untrained mind would. And as you start to notice tension coming up, you actually can recognize like, oh, I'm, I'm like tightening my grip in my hands right now. I noticed it maybe five minutes ago. It's like, oh, my hands are starting to tighten up. And so I just relaxed my hands. And then it's like, you've sort of stopped it before it builds up too much. So there's just this ability to become more aware of what's actually happening in our body because we're paying attention to it. And as we start to notice that, oh, my mind is worrying about this and worrying about that and my hands are tightening up or my jaw is tightening up, just simply intersecting that sort of habitual energy with our awareness gives us the choice to make another turn. You know, I, I feel like habits are like a one-way street. You know, we might have a habit of worrying and tensing up our body. And when we intersect that with awareness, we can turn left or right. We can actually stop at the intersection and make a different choice. Because if you're aware, you have the option of, and you can discern between this or that, you can decide and have a choice on how you want to react to that feeling or that sensation. Exactly. And the second part of the answer is that tension just does accumulate over time. And you might meditate all the time and practice yoga all the time. But if you're living in the modern world and you have a nine to five job and you have bills to pay and people who you love and other people who get on your nerves sometimes, you know, tension is just going to build up. And so practicing yoga helps to release a lot of that tension. So you can kind of notice it when you're driving your car, when you're on your mat, when you're on a podcast, and you can just deliberately relax and let go. But also some of the tension that just builds up over time can kind of be released and addressed through the physical practice. One of the things that I appreciate about my path and my experience is working through, let's say, chronic injuries and those stuck parts of your body, right? There's certain muscles and tissue that just doesn't move like it used to. It almost has forgotten to move or move in a certain way. And, you know, yoga doesn't correct that after the second class, but having that awareness in those parts of your body, and this is my, my read on how this works, is that if you're able to connect the brain with that part of your body, there's going to be, those signals are going to facilitate blood flow, uh, you know, heat, energy, and by having that connection and using that muscle, making it long, making it short, it moves the stuck matter along and it moves it along through your lymphatic system. And ultimately, if you drink water like you're supposed to, it flushes out and moves out of your body. That waste moves out of your body, literally and figuratively. And there's a suppleness that is there there's a heat that stays behind over time. And pretty soon that part of your body is way more connected into not just, you know, your sense of what it is and where it is, but it's also wildly connected through the rest of the body. So that stuck place that feels chronically stuck can be unstuck. And even if you've had an injury years ago, 
you can bring that back in. And it may not solve structural problems like a torn labrum or a fractured spine, but you can bring the muscle back. And if you get the muscle back and that awareness, you can do a lot and go a long way with that body. Yeah, really well said. And I think that's so important and empowering for people because I think there's a lot of people out there who just think they are permanently stuck. And people are always surprised when they stick with a yoga practice of how much things can change, not just in their mind, but in their body. I was speaking to a woman a few months ago when things started to open back up again after the pandemic. I guess we're still in it in a way. But, you know, she said she was riddled with back pain and her whole body had aches. And she started doing yoga every single day during the pandemic because she was just stuck at home. And she said her body is completely pain free now. And that's really powerful. Another story I was teaching at a yoga center. And this guy walked in and he was like a former bodybuilder. He was this really stocky Russian dude. You know, he was like a walking cinder block, really stiff. And, you know, he just said he had all kinds of pain and someone told him to try yoga. And so he just kept showing up. You know, he was there three to five days a week. And then one day I noticed that he came in and he was kind of out of breath. I just didn't say anything. And then every time he came in, he was out of breath. And I said, what's going on? Why are you out of breath? And he said, oh, I've been running here every day. I live a couple miles away and I, I run to yoga now. If you told me that I, was, I would be running six months ago, I wouldn't have believed you. And so the way you really clearly outlined uh, circulation, lymphatic system, the removal of waste, the release of tension in the body, it's real. It really is beneficial. And I think it's so important for people out there who are thinking about starting a yoga practice to recognize that you're not necessarily as stuck as you think you are. And yoga is profoundly helpful and there's a lot of different approaches to it. So even if you've tried a class and it wasn't your cup of tea, you know, there's a lot of different types of tea out there and it's worth getting back on the mat and, and trying a different approach. Right. And you don't need the most caffeinated tea in your yoga class either. You know, you could, you can have a very restorative decaf green tea yoga class and actually probably at a deeper level, start to work in things that you would have never gotten out of the hot power flow class that is 60 minutes with the volume on 11. Yeah, exactly. And that might be a great practice for someone. But saying the word yoga is like saying the word food. You know, it's like, is, is yoga good for you? It's like, well, is food good for you? It depends. Are you eating Taco Bell? Or are you having organic produce? To your point about the more decaffeinated, slower practice, there's something that happens when you calm your body down and release some of the held tension that comes from the mind-body connection. And it's that you've already kind of gotten halfway there by just learning how to relax a little bit. And then that allows you to sort of hone in on the parts of the body that need a little bit more attention, that are sort of not just the muscles that you tense up when you're nervous or frustrated, but maybe something that's stuck a certain way because you sit in the same posture all the time, or you're in the car a lot, or you have a certain repetitive motion that you do all the time. So kind of combining the movement, the circulation, 
the stretching, the release of tension with the ability to actually calm the body down and work with the nervous system is really powerful. You're basically just working with the body's natural kind of design and the body has a bias to heal itself. And so you're just aligning with that bias. It's something that was not aware to me a while back and something that more recently came to mind was if you look at the cell, you know, the living cell, so to speak, if cells have too much stress, they will die. They will die faster. Too much stress is not good for the body. But if the cell doesn't have enough stress, it's also not good for the cell. And for me, I feel like it's a metaphor for what yoga can do. If you haven't been moving around much, you can use yoga to put a little stress in your day. And on the flip side, if you're wildly exhausted or you're recovering from a big workout or you're fighting a cold bug and you just can't unwind, there is something in restorative yoga or even a yin yoga or any kind of just soft, easy yoga where there's no goals, there's no expectations, you're giving your body a chance to let go. And I feel like those classes tend to be the classes that are the least populated, but can be the most valuable or certainly equally as valuable into really knowing yourself and your body and your mind and what you need, because we don't always need to crank it up when we feel like we're getting tired. Maybe we do, but sometimes you don't always have to do that. And so I feel like yoga is a, such a great tool for, for being able to know and give the proper amount of stress or de-stress or release your body needs. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And knowing what you need and getting a sense of yourself moment to moment, day to day, is where the awareness comes in. And the way you kind of laid that out, like the right amount of stress, makes me think of a phrase we use in the Buddhist world a lot, which is not too tight, not too loose. The sort of historical analogy is that, and I'm a musician, so I'll use a, a musical analogy. The historical Buddha was asked by a musician, how should I place my mind for meditation? And the Buddha said, well, how do you tune the string on your instrument? And he said, well, if I make it too loose, it won't make a sound, but if I make it too tight, it'll snap. And so the Buddha said, well, just in that same way, not too tight, not too loose. You, you set your mind with the right amount of attention and alertness, but also there's a sense of being calm and at ease at the same time. And that's a metaphor we can apply to the body. And over time, we just start to see that the body and the mind, you know, maybe don't need the word and between them. There's just body-mind. They're really not as separate as we tend to make them. I do find that in my own practice, I am making a, a better connection between the mind and the body. And I also know that there's far more practice ahead of me in finding that connection and closing the gap between the two. And that is a big part of, big part of the reason why yoga has helped me feel less stuck physically and mentally in the moments of life when I felt truly stuck. And so I know we've talked quite a bit about the physical aspects of yoga. We've talked a little bit about, you know, stress and how stress and just, you know, tension in the body. 
you know, before we wrap here, one thing I want to ask you is more from the other circle in the Venn diagram on the Buddhist side. Yeah. How can people think of Buddhism or embrace Buddhism to feel less existentially stuck? Because I know the last year and a half has been a bizarre experience for all of us. And we all are unfortunately often tempted into feeling stuck economically, politically, spiritually. And Buddhism, I feel, is something, as you've noted earlier, is increasing awareness and understanding and appreciation for it. But Buddhism is something that can really help you feel less stuck, existentially stuck. How does Buddhism help get someone to that place of feeling less stuck and more joyful in life? Yeah. Well, I think this idea of being stuck is often an idea. It's sometimes a story we're telling ourselves. And sometimes we're not recognizing what's going on on our end of the stick. Buddhism really puts the ball in your court. It says that the liberation from your own suffering is your own work to do. Here's some techniques, examine them, examine the teachings. And if they don't make sense to you, and they don't align with your own natural wisdom and intelligence, then that's fine. And so to me, there's a tremendous amount of confidence in that and a tremendous amount of non-attachment in that. It's not trying to, to force anyone to get on board with anything. So I think that's a very welcoming place to begin. So if there's people who are interested in Buddhism, but maybe understandably skeptical about something that feels religious, I would just say that that's the ground floor of it is that it's really based on your own intelligence. And that's where we begin. Now, in terms of being stuck, what happens when we practice Buddhism on the cushion, the practice of meditation, is that we start to become more familiar with our mind. And when we do that, we start to notice that, oh my goodness, my mind is just constantly thinking. It's like a waterfall or an avalanche of thoughts. And a lot of times there's this misperception that I have to somehow stop the water from falling or stop the snow from sliding down the mountain. But stopping the mind from thinking is a little bit like wanting to stop your heart from beating. You know, that's not really the way to go. And what ends up happening instead is that we learn to just see the activity of the mind. And as we see the activity of the mind, we might start to notice that there's a story we're telling ourselves. Many stories we're telling ourselves. Human beings, as one of my teachers put it, are the great storytelling animals. And oftentimes we've bought into the narrative. We've like, we're all in, we slid all our chips onto the table, but we didn't even notice. As um, Krishna Das, the kirtan singer, once said, we wake up every day and believe everything that we think. And so sometimes being stuck is a matter of just recognizing that we're telling ourselves a story about how things are. And it can start to become almost narrow and claustrophobic. And when we feel stuck and there's that feeling of claustrophobia and narrowness, that usually means that we're only seeing one possibility or no possibilities. 
But from the Buddhist point of view, the ground of reality is that things are fundamentally open and full of possibility, which is one way of describing the word emptiness, which I won't get into because that might take a, an entire separate podcast. <laughs> so as one develops in meditation practice and they start to just notice some of the stories they're telling themselves, just like they can notice that they're tensing the muscles in their jaw or their hand or their abdomen or their shoulders. And they can say, oh, I'm going to actually relax and release that tension. We can actually also just let go of the story we're telling ourselves. And in doing so, we can open up to a lot more possibilities. And when we open to all the possibilities that there actually are in life, we're suffering less right away. And in that way, sometimes we see that the reason we were stuck is, is that we were holding on so tightly to a fixed point of view. Yeah, I, I love that because it empowers everyone to change their reality and change their situation. And changing their situation may mean different things to different people. And some people might find that their challenging situation is 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 an absolute dream for somebody else who's dealing with something that's far more, uh, you know, existentially challenging and threatening. But either way, regardless, we're all quite similar in the way we view things or think about things or think about ourselves. And if you can just open the door to the possibility that all you think is not true and not right and not actual, then anything's possible. Very well said. Well, Neil, I got to tell you, this has been a awesome conversation and I'm grateful that we've connected and I really appreciate you sharing just a tiny drop of the knowledge and wisdom you've picked up along the way. Clearly a seed was planted a long time ago. And uh, I just want to thank you for, for sharing all that, sharing your story and making some time and being on this podcast. Well, Derek, it's really been a pleasure and I appreciate you bringing me on and I, I had a great time chatting with you today. So thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks, Neil. So that was a pretty wild conversation with Neil. And I really love the Buddhist element that he brings to this conversation and brings to the podcast. So as you continue to explore your yoga practice, really try to zero in on your awareness. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And if you're in a yoga class and it's moving a bit fast and you're not able to focus on your awareness, slow it down. Stay longer in the pose. Move out of the pose longer and just take your time. So enjoy cultivating your awareness and most importantly, self-compassion. Talk to you next time.